Good morning, Raquel's. Thank you for joining us during the Christmas season. Now there is a lot of competition for things that you can do during this time of year, and we're glad that you're spending some of your Christmas season with us. And I want to thank Megan for that beautiful song. Really love that song. I learned of it last year when it was released because one of the three, that's right, three Christmas albums I bought last season was Jennifer Nettles, and it included that song, which was written, believe it or not, by Dolly Parton. Great song. And the fact that I buy three albums in a year probably shows you that I like Christmas music maybe a little too much because it has forced my lovely wife to set down a few ground rules about listening to Christmas music in our home. We are allowed, you can listen anytime you want through your earphones. But if you're going to listen out loud, it must be between uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving and the last guest leaving our house from our fire punch party, which this year happens Thursday after Christmas. Adam's going to invite you all. If you're an adult, we'd love to have you come out. We just hang out. We actually set red wine on fire. And in the last 12 years I've been doing this, I've only gotten a gotten fire on a guest one time. So the odds are in your favor that you will escape unscathed, right? So we'd love to have you come. It's a great time hanging out. Some adult drinks, some non-adult drinks. Just ask because of the children and fire together thing that it's adults only. Um, I like almost all Christmas songs. I especially love the one that was just sung. I like them all. There's only a few that I'm not a huge fan of. I'm not a huge fan of chestnuts roasting on open fire because it seems that every artist that sings that song sees it as an invitation to make a 70s Las Vegas lounge act out of it. They put all those pot chestnuts roasting on an open fire. I don't love that about because I don't like cheesy stuff, but I would rather listen to chestnuts roasting on an open fire for an hour in a row than hear one time the Christmas shoes. Have you guys heard that song? We are told in the Bible Christmas is a time of great joy, and this is a song about a child buying Christmas presents for her dying mother, and I just... Every time it comes on, I'm like, oh, not the Christmas shoes again. But this season, thankfully, I haven't heard it. So that's been, that's been okay. Now, my wife and I like, we, are, we have similar tastes in the songs that we like at Christmas, if not the style that we like. Um, Laura has something that's very special to her, um, the Ray Conniff Singers. They released an album in 1962 that she listened to while she was growing up. It's a choral sounding. It's not not very edgy, I would say. And this season I had a fairly bad moment in husbanding because last week she got this new album she really liked. It had a kind of choral sound. It was formal, maybe a little bit slow. I said, oh, honey, this is so great. It sounds like the Raycon of singers on Quaaludes. It's awesome. <laughs> So when your wife comes to you and says, I found something I really like, quaaludes are not a good thing (laughs) to respond with, but I did. But Laura and I, mostly in terms of songs and content of songs, we like songs that point to the real meaning behind Christmas. It's easy to get lost in traditions. We like songs that remind us of the birth of Jesus, and I'm going to use this As my representation, I am the worst crafting person. I cannot make a craft to save my life. I made this. It's sort of hay-ish with a manger, and I'm going to put a little light to represent Jesus. Um, 
This is, by the way, I think it's so funny. People are afraid of public speaking, and I'm really not. I'm afraid I'm going to drop what's on this table. So if you're offering a little prayer, it's not about the speaking. It's like, am I going to be klutzy and drop what's on this table? But I'd like this to represent Jesus. We like Christmas songs that point to the real meaning behind the season, the reason for the season, the reason specifically for our faith. Now, we are doing a Christmas series called Wonder, and we've talked about different aspects of wonder. And today, I want to talk a little bit about the wonder of faith, the faith that we have at Christmas time. And I think it's really easy to get faith confused with this kind of generic thing you hear in Christmas specials, you just got to believe, right? So I want to talk specifically about faith, or at least as the Bible sees it. What does, says it? What does the Bible say that faith is. When Hebrews 11, chapter 1, it says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. It's more than just saying, yeah, yeah, I guess that happened. It um, It is a true belief and confidence in this. And we really believe that 2,000 years ago or so, there was this baby born in this no-nothing town called Bethlehem. And we really do believe that he became the hope of the world. It is, we believe this is true. Now, some of you are maybe sitting here today saying, I just can't believe anything that's in a religious text, an old book. I just can't believe it. And I've spoken before from this very podium about why we believe these things. And if you're a person who's a skeptic, which I am a skeptic by nature, but I, and I understand that, I would recommend that you look into some books where people have done this very exploration for themselves My favorite book along these lines is called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. I've recommended it several times from here. Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus by a guy called Nabil Qureshi, where he and a friend, he was a devout Muslim, his friend was a devout Christian, and they set about to say, let us explore together which faith, which of these two faiths has more historical evidence. And in the end, we're going to decide to follow the one that we think is true. So they both took some risks. It's a great book. The story of their relationship is a great story. It's called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Or if you don't want to read that, if you just have some questions, you can feel free to write me at stephen at rockhills.com, S-T-E-P-H-E-N at rockhills.com. And I'm happy to talk to you about it if you're having trouble believing any of this could be real. But we believe that this baby was really born. We have faith this baby was really born 2,000 years ago. Now, he is not at all what the Israelites were expecting. He's not at all what God's people, the Jews, were expecting because they were being occupied by Rome, and it was a cruel occupation. So they lived in constant fear. And what they thought the Messiah, the Son of God, was going to do was come and throw off the shackles of their Roman oppressors. And that is not at all what happened. In fact, Within a hundred years of Jesus being born, Rome would destroy the temple, and and as a political entity, the state of Israel would not exist for centuries after that, starting in 70 AD. So clearly what they were expecting was not what this baby was. This baby was something else. Jesus was sent, and the thing that we are to have faith in is that he was sent so that we could have forgiveness of our sins. That's it. That's the big punchline. He was sent 
so that we could have forgiveness of our sins. Now, in the Gospels, it contains accounts of many people who were involved in Jesus' life and whose faith points us to the truth that Jesus is the Son of God and can save us from our sins. And I'm going to give some examples of these people, and I'm going to represent them also with candles, if I can do this. Yeah, there we go. Um, the first example I have of a person whose faith really points us toward Jesus was Joseph, Jesus' Jesus's father on earth, his earthly father. And I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 1. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found, and that came together is literally in the biblical sense, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Back in that system, when you were engaged, it was very formal and you had to get a divorce from an engagement. They were actually just engaged. But after Joseph had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Right? That's the big deal. That's the punchline about this baby who was born and would live a life and die and rise again, is that that would save us from our sins. Now, as continuing reading, it says, All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph's faith, his belief in God's promise, allowed him to endure some ridicule, right? Because he would have been saying, you know, if someone today told you, oh yeah, this is a holy conception, you, you'd have your doubts, right? He probably lived through some ridicule, and yet he was faithful to what God said because he knew this baby could save us from our sins. And I'm going to turn on this light to represent Joseph. Now I'm going to tell you about a few other people who had faith and whose faith points us to the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. Now there was a guy called Simeon, in Simeon, in Luke chapter 2, it says, There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So I believe he was quite old. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised... You may now dismiss your sermon in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of all your people, Israel. Simeon let us know that Jesus would be a light to the Gentiles. He wasn't just there for the Jews. He was there for all people, and he would be their salvation. Now, in the following verse, there is also a prophet, Anna, who this happened at the same time. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, 
She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna's faith also points to the fact that Jesus of Nazareth is God's son, the promised Messiah. She would have had credibility because she was known for praying and fasting and being a prophet of God. And she said, he's it. He's the one. He's the one we've been waiting for. So Anna's faith also points us to Jesus of Nazareth being God's Messiah. Now, Luke 8 contains one is perhaps one of my favorite interactions that Jesus had with anybody while he was alive. This was the Roman centurion. A Roman centurion was part of the <coughs> military, and I was reading about them, and they were of a rank just below senator in Rome. Very, very high rank in the Roman military. And it says, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority and soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. So he's saying, you don't even have to come to the house. If you say he's healed, he's healed. Then Jesus heard this, he was amazed, and said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. An amazing thing with the centurion, I always feel like, you know, if if I was a disciple, because I'm kind of a little bit of a do-gooder, and I always want to get the highest grade. So like when Jesus said, nobody in Israel, the ones who are supposed to know this stuff, have had as much faith as this Roman centurion. But I think what the centurion shows us is that all you need is faith in Jesus. It doesn't matter what family you were born into. It doesn't really matter what your job is. Anywhere you are, you can show great faith. And your faith in Jesus is all that you need to receive, in that case, healing. But I think this is to be receive um, forgiveness of sins. And now perhaps the most direct example that I found or I think about of faith in the gospel, the wonder of faith, is found in one of the criminals who was crucified with Jesus. There were two total But this one shows his faith. And I have a verse, yeah, thanks. Luke 23, verses 39 to 43. So there were two criminals who were crucified with Jesus at the same time. And we we picture them as being on either side of him. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Well, if so, save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is to me a fantastic image of the gospel message. We're talking about a criminal who was hung on a Roman cross couldn't move and had hours left to live. And Jesus said, your faith, because of your faith, you will be with me in paradise. This is the message we have today, right? It's not that we can earn 
forgiveness of sins. It is our faith through which we receive forgiveness of sins. That criminal on the cross, there was nothing further he could do. He was nailed to where he could not move. And yet his faith in Jesus, his faith in Jesus saying, it is your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom was enough to receive forgiveness for all the things he had done and the things where he actually said, I'm guilty. I deserve to be on this cross. But those were forgiven. So I also think that his, um, his faith points us, the lights of their life point us to Jesus as the Son of God who can forgive our sins. And I want to say too, for those of you who haven't maybe heard this before, when our sins are forgiven, it's not like when you say to a kid, you guys have had, or ever had someone who like forgave you but let you hear about it for the next five years? I had a boss where we had a misconception and a misunderstanding. We realized a misunderstanding and he still brought this misunderstanding up four years. Every time I had a performance review, four years. And when I went up for promotion, the thing I saw in the write-up was, well, he's great except for this. And it was the same. I mean, so forgiven, maybe, but forgotten, absolutely not. But Jesus says our sins are forgiven. We become righteous. That's because he took our penalty. Jesus became sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, this is an amazing verse. God made him who had no sin, that is Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If we place our faith in Jesus, not only are those sins forgiven, but what he sees instead of that sin is the righteousness of of his son, of Jesus, who lived a perfect life. Our sins are forgiven, forgotten, and seen no more by God if we put our faith in him. And now, I wanted to say also, as I've been thinking about this and thinking about the wonder of faith, you know, Adam two weeks ago said it's faith is, or wonder is something that is undeserved uh, and unexpected. And I find this to be undeserved, unexpected. So it is truly wonder. Um, but I want to say, because I think that everything in our culture will, especially this time of year, use the word be- believe. They will say, you just got to believe. You just got to believe. And I think what they mean is, if you just believe things are going to work out, they're going to work out. If you just believe hard enough, you're going to get that job. Somebody's not going to be sick. Somebody's... You know, relationships are going to heal magically because you got the right Christmas present or something, right? Or the carolers came to your house. But that isn't what the Bible tells us. The good news of the gospel, the reason this baby came, was to offer forgiveness of sins, not so that everything in our life will work out perfectly. I brought up Nabil Qureshi, who wrote that book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, one of my favorite books, I've probably mentioned it several times up here. I find that now that I've crossed the 50 mark, I really don't remember what I said last time. But um, Nabil Qureshi, amazing evangelist, wrote these incredible books, had incredible love for people of the Islamic faith, came to Christianity at great cost to himself, and through his words, many came to know Jesus. And he died four months ago at the age of 34. It didn't, you know, 
that kind of believing miracle from the Christmas specials didn't happen. He left He left behind a child, left behind a wife. But God used his light so brightly to point others to Jesus, right? But it didn't mean that he would live to 50 instead of 34 or to 60 instead of 50. It meant that his sins were forgiven, and this is what he knew. In fact, far from saying that everything will work out, Jesus actually lets his disciples know, this is his direct words, that the world may hate them. He says the words, hate them. John 15, verses 18 to 19, it says, if the world, this is Jesus talking to his most beloved, his disciples, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. You belong to the world, it would, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you did not say that everything would work out. Jesus also had these words, and I, I, this is a song I actually used to sing at camp when I was a kid. These things, this is John 16, 33, and I had to switch to the New King James Version because having learned that song, that's the only way I can say the word, so I had to switch to the version I learned. But these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, not just trouble, tribulation. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. The world is not your focus. I have overcome the world. And that happened by his death and resurrection. And now I, I wanted to switch to one more verse that I kind of stumbled upon again, thinking about do things work out. Hebrews chapter 11 is kind of about the heroes of the faith. It talks about people who place their faith in God. And one of the people in that, in that, that it mentions is Abel. Now, I don't know how many of you grew up. I was old enough and grew up in church enough that I actually had flannel board stories. So I know a lot of these old Bible stories. I got a chuckle from everybody who's over 43. I heard that. Um, flannel board stories. But um, the Bible talks about Cain and Abel, who are among the people that God created. Cain and Abel were brothers. And God set down rules about what type of sacrifice he wanted. He wanted an offering of uh, a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. And Abel did what God asked. And Cain brought him something else. And God said, Cain, we went over this, essentially. What I want is an animal sacrifice. Your brother has done it right. You've done it wrong. And Abel and Cain kills Abel. It did not work out well for Abel. It didn't. His faith did not work out in his earthly life for Abel. The New Testament says in that same hall of faith, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. We can learn from Abel. We can learn from Abel. It says it was credited to him as righteousness. God sees the righteousness that the faith brought about. But it didn't work out well. The good news of the gospel is that our sins are forgiven. And no matter what happens in the world, Jesus has overcome the world. And that no matter what happens to us, we don't have to be phased because our sins 
are forgiven. It says in there that Abel has ministry even though he's died. And actually, you know, all of these have died. Joseph, we don't really hear much about Joseph after Jesus is about 12. My guess is because we hear about Mary during the crucifixion, Joseph probably died. I don't know, but that's my guess is that he, he died and his earthly light went out. Simeon was very old at the time. He probably didn't live much longer past what we heard about him. Neither did, neither did Anna. She was 84. It's unlikely she lived very long. The Roman centurion, we hear nothing more about him. His earthly light went out. The thief on the cross, within hours of us meeting him in the scripture, his time on earth was over. Yeah. They're all gone. And Jesus himself lived till about, oh, he lived till about 33. And just like every other human being, his light went out, but only for three days. Because unlike any other person in history, Jesus was fully God and fully man, and his light, three days later, came back on. He resurrected. And that is the pinnacle of our faith. That is the important part of our faith. Because of his resurrection, we can also overcome death. We can believe in his sacrifice. We can put our faith in him as being sufficient for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus died and resurrected and appeared to many witnesses. We talked about Acts, appeared to hundreds of witnesses in bodily form. And it's still alive today. It's not on the earth, but still alive. And he is there waiting for us. If you've never put your faith in Christ, I encourage you to talk to me after the service. Write me at stephen at rockhills.com. Talk to Pastor Adam. Happy to talk to you about um, talk to you about how you take that step of faith. Those folks whose earthly lives are no longer on because of the accounts in the Bible they still point us toward Jesus. And if you are a person who has put your faith in Christ, this is what our life should be. We are to be the lights that point others to Jesus, whose death and resurrection save us from our sins. Jesus said to his people, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I've had people in my life, I've been blessed to have people in my life where their light pointed me toward Jesus. I want to tell you just about a few people. My parents are the first ones. My parents were the first in their generation, either family, to change from being someone who just goes to church because that's what you do to actually believing this is real. This baby is real. They were the first. And they raised me to know that he was real. And they took me to churches where people also believed he's real. My parents used the light of their life to point me toward Jesus. I also had a friend when I was growing up called David. He was the minister of uh, camping at the church. Our church had a camp 
It was about 20, 20 minutes away from downtown Dallas, but it was secluded and wooded, and David was dedicated to bringing children in the Dallas area to know Jesus, and he taught, he was a leader and taught us how to do that. We would meet for a week before camp as a staff and do cleanup work and other things. But there are two things David told me that really taught me about mission. The first thing that David taught me was he would say to us, you guys, we're going to have a lot of time together as before and after camp, a lot of activities where we can become good friends. But when those kids are here, don't be hanging out talking to each other. Talk to them. This is their time to connect to somebody, to connect to a person who can show them God. And you know what else he told us? He told us, if you have a kid who is assigned to you who gets along better with another counselor, praise God they get along with some counselor. It doesn't matter that they were assigned to you. What we want is to show them Jesus in any way that we can, in any way that we can. David taught me about mission. And the last person I wanted to say, and by the way, while I say this, the band may be coming out setting up. Don't let it distract you. So um, for the next song, the next person was uh, involved with Rock Hills. He was uh, Steve McNary. He's not here. Decided I couldn't use any current Rock Hillers on this particular list because there's so many of you that have helped me that I would feel wrong putting one on. But Steve McNary, when I came to this church, I had had some difficult interactions uh, at a prior church. And they left me feeling a little bit worthless, actually. And Steve McNary invested uh, an hour or so every week for two years with me. And the whole time, I, I felt like, Ugh, I'm not really the person you should be spending your time with because I'm not going through the typical problems those guys go through. You know, I'm okay, I'm okay. But I really was feeling like God couldn't, use me. And what Steve taught me was you need to look at yourself as God looks at you. You need to realize that these people that said things to you are human beings who make mistakes and wasn't intentional. And you need to not focus so much on what other people are thinking. You need to focus on what God thinks and how you can do it. And also the fact that he invested that time in me made me feel like, well, I guess if he invests this time in me, then I am worth something. I mean, we're at least worth that investment. Steve used his life, along with David, along with my parents, to point me toward Jesus. And I encourage you, if you're a person who's put their faith in Jesus today, that that is what we are to be doing with our lives. That's what we are to be doing in the Christmas season. It's a time when people are willing to try something, because it's the holiday season. Invite them. Invite them to the Christmas Eve service, because through our life, we need to shine our light on Jesus. Now, I've asked Josh to come and sing a really great uh, Christmas song called Oh, Come, All Ye Faithful. So we've been thinking about faith. I, that, that song is so funny because we get so wrapped up in Christmas and it says, Oh, Come, All Ye Faithful, joyful and triumphant. And when you think about what that birth really was, jo joyful, born in a stall, born in a stall, <laughs> triumphant, Israel was going to be destroyed as a nation. You have to have faith for the Christmas story to be joyful and triumphant. Triumphant. You have to believe that Jesus came 
and that through his life, death, and resurrection, we can receive forgiveness of our sins. And then our faith helps us understand why we are joyful and triumphant. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for sending your son that we celebrate this Christmas time. I just pray that you can help me and help others be the lights that point people toward Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.